Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show with me, Adam Bayfield, and Tony Kerr. Hey. Tony, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, good. Just, um, you know, getting to grips with life and lockdown. Yeah, with uh, our new lives. Yeah, we are, as you say, in lockdown uh, here in Guernsey. So we're, we're recording this podcast over Skype. Uh, I've got, we've got the video open. It looks like you're in bed, Tone. Yeah, I haven't really moved, to be fair. Yeah, a bit of a developing situation, obviously, with, with uh, you know, the coronavirus and all that. So, a bit like, yeah, so the, the kind of the measures that uh, our government here in Guernsey, as you know, have been sort of uh, have been implementing, have kind of ratcheted up day by day almost, haven't they, over the last kind of, like, I don't know, two weeks, ten days. But, yeah, this is day three of working from home. Day one of, like... I guess what you would call effective lockdown in Guernsey. Uh, but yeah, day, day three of working from home. Day one, I had a great setup. So I live with my girlfriend in a flat. Great setup on the kitchen table. Both of us were there, happy as Larry. Then sort of Monday afternoon, which was day one, she, she moved in a monitor that she'd kind of looted from work. Uh, and I was kicked off the I was kicked off the kitchen table by the end of Monday. Over your real estate. I was then onto the sofa on Monday. Um, You've been watching the wire tone. Have you learned nothing? <laughs> yeah, I know. I need to go and get that corner back. And then anyway, day two of uh, homeworking, settling into my new life on the sofa. Uh, my girlfriend decided that I was hogging too much of the bandwidth, and her her Skype calls were were like you know were jumping around all over the place. So I've been kicked off the Wi-Fi now as well. So I'm now exclusively tethered. Uh, tethered to my phone. And then day three, I'm just I'm just I've just resigned myself to not getting out of bed. So. <laughs> these sound like very creative excuses that your girlfriend is coming up with to move you further and further away from her in the apartment yeah i mean like I, I i actually did think to myself this is not a joke i actually did think to myself at one point uh one of the people i feel most sorry for in this lockdown situation is tony's girlfriend <laughs> I, I can't think of anyone i'd less like to spend lockdown with than you tony no offense thanks mate well, I'm actually, I mean, it's like lockdown inception. I'm in lockdown. I'm in my own personal lockdown within lockdown. So, but yeah, how are you coping? Yeah, no, all, all fine here. I'm uh, locked down with uh, with my girlfriend and baby, uh, who luckily is young enough that is just completely oblivious to this. And uh, nothing is really different. It's basically just like, you know, like any other day. But no, I mean, it, it must be tough. Yeah, it must be much tougher for people with multiple kids, uh, kids of school age who are kept home from school um you know it's much more of a challenge uh, but yeah things pretty much continuing as normal here we just have to you know stay at home all the time it's strange times really Tony, isn't it i mean there's probably something of an understatement i certainly hope that everyone listening to this is uh, is well and safe and getting through this 
Uh, as we mentioned, it's uh, lockdown in Guernsey. Uh, all sports has been cancelled. Uh, now, in your day job, Tone, you're the sports reporter for ITV Channel TV. So what are you doing? Well, have you done it in like a sort of like commercial radio voice? <laughs> now, uh, Tone, in your day job, you're the uh, sports <laughs> reporter for ITV Channel TV. That's here in the Channel Islands. Uh, so you were just saying before that uh, you've been working from home. What are you actually doing? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Uh, oh, no, there's a few bits. Basically, everything's obviously cancelled, postponed, canned, or running out of money. So I probably won't come back. So uh, other than that, yeah, no, it's all um, obviously rushed off my feet. I'm getting really bored of of like covering, yeah, like yeah, covering just things being cancelled at this point. I, I think everything pretty much now. There's like one thing that's left to be cancelled. Uh, so just waiting on that, and then then it'll yeah, then I'll be. If you and then you can down fully, fully devote your days to football management. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's not just in the Channel Islands, of course, where sport has been cancelled. Pretty much all sport all around the globe is on hold at the moment, including cricket. Begs the question what we're going to talk about today, but um, we've managed to, to put some content together. It is, though, like being on lockdown, it is quite frustrating, Tone, that, you know, like we're all stuck at home and there's no sport to watch. And in the scheme of things... That seems like a relatively trivial point, uh, and I probably should obviously say that you know we it sort of goes without saying, um, you know the the gravity of this situation, and we don't mean to. We're certainly not going to trivialise anything that's happening, but 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 in a way, that seemingly trivial point about there not being sports on actually isn't. And like I think the, the what one thing that this crisis is bringing home to me is just how important sport is. Uh, now that's good news for you, Tone, as a professional sports correspondent. It's good to know that you haven't been wasting your life. But it is, you know, it is. It's one of the best things in life, isn't it? It's one of the things that gives life meaning and creates joy. And uh, a world without sport is a is a much less interesting world, isn't it? Much less enjoyable, much more colourless world. Um, and it's only been a couple of weeks, but it's really that is really being proven already. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean. Funny enough, me personally, I've quite enjoyed a couple of weeks where there's been nothing happening because it is like, and it, you know, even in the Channel Islands, you know, uh, as a one man band uh, on the on the Channel TV sports desk, yeah, there is quite a lot Channel happening. TV sports beat, yeah, exactly. There, there, like, you know, in our relative Channel Island level, there's a lot goes on, and you know, people are really passionate about it and are very passionate that all sports are covered. So actually, just have a just have a couple of weeks off where. You don't like. I'm not having to like. I don't know. Follow something that's happening in the middle of the night if it's someone competing wherever or like you know or running around doing stuff because yeah, I guess it is is the day job. But um, that's just a man wanting some time off work, though, isn't it? What it that's- is, but actually, it's quite it's quite nice. Not uh, yeah, it, it has actually so far been nice. It's it's a novelty factor at the moment. That personal feeling is a novelty factor, which will wear off. Um, yeah, pretty quickly. I think over the next week or two um but but you're right like in terms of the pure enjoyment that it brings it yeah it, it's it's clearly leaving a pretty big hole in, in well the it's world. gonna get bigger because yeah, well, exactly. yeah i can see it's early like, days point that, you know a couple of weeks break for, for someone in your position probably isn't um the worst thing but depending on how long this goes on for you know if this lockdown stretches on for for months I mean, i'm running out of battery uh, i'm just gonna move to the uh, um, i'm moving to the kitchen <laughs> Is she going to allow you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, hang on. I've got an emergency plug-in situation. 
yeah. How was uh, that? How is that? Hang on, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to work out how I can sit where you might be able to take a. What's I say? Well, what I was to say is that um, you know I can see for someone in your position that a, you know a couple of weeks break isn't the worst thing. But if this lockdown stretches on for uh, for months, I think we we all are really going to start to feel that absence. It is you know it's a huge part of life isn't it for you know obviously not for any, for everyone but for a lot of people uh it, it is a massive part of life and and to sort of be told that you have to stay home and not have sport makes it all the tougher but then but having said all that one another thing that i've thought about it uh is that in some ways while it brings home how important sport as a whole is sort of sport as a concept is it does also make the kind of nitty gritty of sport, like all the debates that we would normally have on the world cricket show seem much more <laughs> trivial. Yeah. Like, I mean, at, at this point, who cares about mancads? Give me some cricket. Give me any cricket. I would bloody love to watch the hundred this weekend. Big chat. I mean, yeah, I haven't heard the word mancad for about two and a half weeks. So yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> these are heavy <laughs> days. It feels like something from a different era of human history, doesn't it? It really does, actually. I, I'm not sure. I think that, that that was the moment that it really hit home because obviously we, we you know we saw the the lockdown come or you know the lockdown coming, but certainly you know sport was falling like dominoes, wasn't it? Um, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know there was the chat was emerging about working from home and all this kind of stuff, and and it was that the, the England Sri Lanka. The, the you know the Sri Lanka tour was kind of holding steadfast for yeah. you know, for a little while you know they're on they're on the field playing the warm up and then when that was called or when that was pulled yeah that was when, that was when it became clear there was going to be absolutely nothing to watch <laughs> yeah I know and then yeah Mrs Brown's boys is uh, is put on the in the match of the day slot um, just to really rub it in everyone's faces. All right. Well, despite that uh, lack of sport, we are going to attempt to keep the podcast going over the next few weeks and months. Uh, obviously, everyone's kind of taking things a day at a time at the moment. So um, we'll see. But uh, that's the plan. So to start with today, we've got a few things to talk about. I, I did a throw out, as you would say, Tane, on the uh, ITV channel TV sports desk. Uh, I did a throw out on social media asking for suggestions for things that we could talk about. So I thought we could uh, just dive into some of those. So Paul Hilferty says The Test. Uh, now, this is a documentary on Amazon Prime. Is that right, Tom? Uh, about the Australian cricket team and its, uh, uh, its comeback from the sandpaper scandal. Uh, now, we are going to talk about that, but probably not much today because I haven't seen it yet. But I think you've you've started watching it, Tone. Is that right? Yeah, I've watched the first two episodes. Um, How many are there? Uh, I think there's eight or ten. Wow. So it takes it uh, obviously, yeah, right through from from Langer's appointment, uh, yeah, I guess, to the end of the Ashes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So I had, I had kind of, I was like, oh, brilliant, you know, I'll have that, I'll have that watched by the time we chat. Um, so I've already <laughs> you made some my, notes. You've I, actually made some notes. I was getting stressed, you know, trying to like fit in my homework. Um, I've actually made a couple of notes. It's one of those things. I was like, I, I started with the best intentions. I was like, oh, I'll make notes, and then you look back at what you've written. You've written like three things, two of which you don't really understand what they mean. Well, one of which is an item for a shopping list. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, toilet I'm, roll. <laughs> or toilet roll. Yeah, you haven't seen any of it yet, have you? 
No, not yet. Yeah. So, I mean, it, so my question, yeah, let's talk about it more next time. But my question really is: it like, is it a kind of PR exercise, or is it more interesting than that? Um, I mean, it depends which way you're coming from. I mean, it is it's pretty glossy. I think, and I, I haven't watched many of these kind of behind the scenes sports things. You know, like the the all or nothings of this world. Um, you know, the Man City documentary or any of that stuff. Uh, so I, I don't know if, you know, they're all like this, this kind of this, because there is a real, well, there's a real kind of trend for it at the moment, isn't there? Uh, mm. It's kind of glossy. I think it is probably a pretty PR-y. The, you know, you, you, you don't come away with it, or it. It's hard to come away with it without, you know, without just good blokes going through your mind. Good blokes comes mm. out about 15 times in each of the first two episodes. You know, they obviously start, I'd kind of forgotten, well, I hadn't obviously forgotten about the, the ball tampering stuff, but kind of forgotten just, and we obviously spoke about it at the time, just where that left Australia in terms of just who they had available. And, you know, they went off, uh, you know, to, to play their first few series. You know, they went to England, got hammered 5-0 in the ODI series with a team obviously missing a couple of their biggest names, their best players, but there were also several several guys out injured and, and whatnot. So, yeah, so in that sense, and I obviously haven't got to the end of it yet, um, but I know what happens. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is, it's, it is, it's a fairly, uh, it's an impressive transformation that they, that, you know, in terms of what they get to. And I guess the fact that they then obviously welcome back two very fine players and, and, you know, you know, one of the best players of the, the modern era probably at the moment. Um, it's quite, quite funny. I, I, yeah. Justin Langer, uh, comes across well from the start. You, you can just see him kind of properly beaming. He just absolutely loves it. Um, but it, but it's quite it made me laugh. Like they have, it starts with um, with the five nil hammering in England that they get, uh, including the was it four nine six mm. at Trent Bridge. But yeah, you know they just look pretty dejected um, as that that one day series kind of wears on. But but yeah, that that episode it, it starts with them when they come to England for that tour. They go to um, go to Belgium uh, to w- visit some Australian war graves um, from the First World War, and obviously that's quite it's quite emotional. You know, it's it's, it's not a particularly long sequence, um, but you know you can see it's pretty affecting. Yeah, it's, it's yeah quite quite interesting to see. But yeah, then then they get to the end of the series, they've lost they've lost five nil. And uh, I like sitting around in the, the team meeting uh, at the end, kind of discussing it, looking pretty dejected. And yeah, Langer's team talk just made me laugh because he, he's like, yeah, having just seen his team get absolutely walloped, he's like, oh yeah, you know, we, we've had a great few weeks. He's like, France, Belgium. And then just basically stops. It's <laughs> like, oh, you know, we've, we've visited some war graves. A great few weeks. Well, that. Great, yeah. great cricket tour that yeah yeah really good tour another successful cricket tour very much in uh yeah i mean that's it when we you know, when we were kids and we went on tour and got wallets we didn't even been to the war graves it was like <laughs> we had nothing nothing to uh to take home really from it but yeah we, we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't even have any memories of war graves <laughs> no, exactly. to, to cherish but yeah, no, it's quite. It's, yeah, it's interesting. It's worth watching, and I, we'll, we'll be, yeah, as you say, we'll talk about it a bit more next time. I think we'll both have a yeah, chance I'll to watch it, it this full. week. I've got a lot of time on my hands now, and um, so I will get stuck into that, and maybe we can uh, we can do a full review next time. Um, this question from Simon Delarue 
Which cricketer would you choose if you had to self-isolate with one for 14 days? What do you reckon? So I thought of someone for you, Virat Kohli. <laughs> I thought the two of you, get the two of you in a room, and you can settle your differences once and for all. Finally bury your hatchet. Uh, yeah, I was trying to, I was having a good think about this. I mean, it is quite, it's a quite a tough question to answer, really, when you think self-isolation could go on forever, effectively, yeah. or, or at least for, for months. I mean, some names that sprung to mind, Charles Colville, just to see how annoying or how annoyed he would get if I answered, well, Charles, to every, you know, every sort of conversation starter or topic or... Yeah, what do you want for dinner tonight? Yeah, well, Charles. Um, otherwise, I thought, like, it might be nice to have a, you know, a West Indian legend in the house. You know, obviously, like, great times to, you know, lots to talk about, delivered in a fantastic accent. And, and you know there are some some good characters obviously in there, but potentially like a Brian Lara maybe would be would be quite fun. He's, he likes he likes it, to have a good time. Yeah, I actually this was my answer. I wrote down Gordon Greenwich or Desmond Haynes because they're mates of ours, Tane. Yeah, mates true. Of ours already. Pals. Nothing will get better though. You know, it, it would be a step down from from <laughs> overlooking yeah. a Barbadian Bilbaian beach with a yeah a glass of white wine. Um, yeah, I th- yeah, I thought like Elise Perry, if that's if not in the least <laughs> sleazy way. You know, she's she's good at football as well. Although she's that's uh, true, she's done her hammy, hasn't she, at the moment? Keep you up, keep with her in the living room. Yeah, no, but like, you 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 could play two sports and you know, yeah, and what and, and other, yeah, all the talk about all the stuff. Where, where's, <laughs> where's Emily right now? She <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I thought Greenwich or Haynes. I mean, the obvious answer, I guess, is Graham Swan, isn't it? Just the the banter, I think, would keep you entertained, no? Uh, I don't know. Vaughan, uh, could you live with Vaughan? <laughs> yeah, Vaughan. Vaughan and Swan <laughs> would be a good combo, I think. Gower, um, I, could, I could definitely do a couple of weeks with Gower, I think. He's a mate of yours as very, well. Yeah, well, very civilised. Uh, this question from Brett Ambrose. This is more of a kind of, <laughs> more of a serious cricket question. Uh, which is unusual <laughs> when I do one of these throwouts. Why is Keaton Jennings an opening batsman when he seemingly can't play pace but is excellent against spin? So uh, it's a good question because it, it does seem slightly counterintuitive in a way, doesn't it? Because he, he you know, we talked about this, like he was called up, uh, England called him back into the squad for the Sri Lanka tour that's now been cancelled um, on the basis that he has had a lot of success on the subcontinent. You know, he's been awful everywhere else, but he has had success on the subcontinent because he is a very good player of spin. And it does seem strange that he's an opening batsman. You know, obviously, from three downwards, you have to play pace as well. But you're more likely, I suppose, to to play some spin. Uh, whereas as an opener, you, you know, you're guaranteed to at least start your innings against pace. Uh, although, mind you, at this point, if um, even if Jennings was coming in at number six and Shane Warne was bowling, I think, you know, It'd be a fairly negligent captain who didn't kind of yank Warren out of the attack and, and bring his best fast bowlers on because he just has been so uh, fragile, so frail against pace. I mean, I don't really know the answer to this question. So, I mean, I, I'm just wondering if he does Keaton Jennings. I think the answer to this is no, not really. Does Keaton Jennings have the same problems against pace as, at county level as he has at test level? And I just wonder, you know, is it more of a function of the fact that, more a result of the fact that there is that gap between domestic and international cricket. And arguably nowhere is that more pronounced than in the quality of the pace bowling. You know, I think Jennings has just 
discovered that as you know this is a bit brutal but was kind of found out against you know your Mohammed Shamis and your Kemar Roaches in a way that he just you know he, he just didn't face that kind of examination in in county cricket so you know that's that's maybe my theory there I feel like this is a bit harsh on on Keith Jennings he's probably you know like the Sri Lanka tour got got canned and he's probably thinking like oh you know just be good to listen to a bit of uh, you know take my mind off things you know got me to my hands he's not even playing cricket and people are still talking about his his fragility in the face of pace. So, uh, yeah. It's well, listen, blame Brett Tone. It's yeah. Brett's question. I'm just, I'm just answering the questions as best I can, delivering content to the... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People. There's a suggestion here from someone calling himself Rob Lowe. I don't know if that's his real name, or I don't know if it is, in fact, the the Rob Lowe. It's possible. Uh, he's asking us to select a uh, composite 11 of batsmen whose career average was below 40 and bowlers whose career bowling average was above 30. The 30s 11, if you will. Um, so, you know, I don't know, is it, what, it, would you say this is a sort of like all-time great mediocre 11, something like that? Um, uh, I like this. Rob, oh, I, Rob adds, uh, all rounders with bowling averages in the 20s are permitted, but would not be allowed to bowl for this team. Uh, now, I, I love this suggestion, Tone. This is an amazing suggestion. Well, I'm just quickly going into stats, Gary, because I forgot to do any research on this. <laughs> I don't think you're going to have a hard time putting one together in the next 30 seconds. Well, I'll just give you two minutes to at least get some names up. It's weird because I obviously can't see your screen, but ninety percent of the time we've been on this Skype call, you've just looked absolutely baffled, <laughs> just peering at, at me. You're obviously on Crick Info now, are you? Uh, I, yeah. Oh, uh, here we go. Here we go. So, I could just remind me of the criteria. Okay, so batsman whose career batting average was below forty, and bowlers whose career bowling average was above. 30 but i guess it's like the you've got to pick the best 11 in those criteria so you know you're not picking keaton jennings um yeah you know you're, you're picking players who actually had very good careers but their averages don't necessarily show that i'm assuming you're not going to pick like jack callis well no because what because his bowling average is in the 30s you mean yeah you could pick him but you'd have to pick him as one of your bowlers yeah yeah so, i don't i just i'm not having him in there i just thought you might have put him in there just no, 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 I haven't got Callis. Do you want to hear my team? Uh, yeah, go for it. Okay, so buckle up. Opening batsman, 
Michael Atherton and Marvin Atapati. Uh, so Atherton averaged 37.69, scored 1600s in his test career and is one of my favourite cricketers ever. Atapati averaged 39.02, also 1600s. Both, you'd say, had very good test careers, yet both averaged in the 30s. Number three, uh, it's a bit of a, it's the A team so far. We've got Atherton, Atapati, now Astle, Nathan Astle, averaged 37. Uh, then rounding out my middle order, I've got Carl Hooper, average of 36.46 with the bat, and also was a you know quite effective off-spin bowler as well, bowling average in the 40s, I believe. And uh, then Brendan McCullum, who I've got in there as a specialist batsman, average of 38.64. Uh, any thoughts so far, Tone, on the batsman? Uh, liking it. It's got a very uh, post-Atherton era feel to it. Yeah, I mean, I ha- it is largely post Well, in fact, it is exclusively post Aston because yeah. that's that's sort of where I I tend towards because I just think they're players that I've seen. You know, I feel sort of slightly less qualified to talk about players that I haven't seen. Yeah, so that should just be added to the clarifications. Thank you. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Thanks very much for that, Tony. Um, my so I've got an all rounder in at six, Andrew Flintoff. Uh, for me one of the greatest England players of all time would be a strong candidate for a post Atherton 11 uh, batting average of 31.77 bowling average of 32.78. So the numbers don't really support that. It was all about the moments, wasn't it? And the big moments in the big series uh, as a wicketkeeper, I've got MS Dhoni. Big shout. 38.09 with the bat. Uh, and then can four, I get, can I guess your bowlers? Yeah, you can. I've got four specialist bowlers. Yeah. Who are you guessing? I reckon you're going to have Steve Harmison. Nope. Fuck. <laughs> One down. One down, three to go. Uh, you're going to have Matthew Hoggard, surely. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Come on. Uh, 30.5 was his bowling average. Took 248 wickets. And there's another of my favourite cricketers ever. Uh, I reckon. Uh, so you, you said Harmison, then Hoggard. There is another H. You talking about your spinner here? Uh, well, I'll give you a clue. I've actually got two spinners. So ah. Yeah, one of my two spinners. Well, I suspect one will be Harbajan then. Correct. So he averaged thirty-two with the ball, four hundred and seventeen wickets. He has the most wickets of anyone with an average in the thirties. Uh, and then I think you're going to have Daniel Vittori in there. No, uh. I, I, I flirted with Vittori. Uh, I flirted with him extensively, uh, but I ended up with Nathan Lyon. 390 wickets, so not, not far behind Harbour. I will almost certainly go past him. Average 31.58. So, hang on, are you trying to put together the best team to win a match that you could from the 30s? Yeah, that's exactly right, Tim. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Have you just worked that out? No, I thought you were doing it with sort of your favourite players of the third, you know. No, no, this, no, this is a team I'd want to, to put pick. on the field. To so you'd win have to match, make some yeah. tough decisions. So we've got one, one player left, fast bowler. Um, I don't know, Brett Lee. Correct, yeah. 310 wickets, average 30.81. So let me run that through for you, Tone. Atherton, Atapatu, Astle, Hooper, McCullum, Flintoff, Dhoni, Lee, Hoggard, Harbajan, Lyon. Now, what do you think about that team? I, that, to me, that actually seems like quite a good team. This is the thing with, you know, when we did it, didn't we? The team of the decade, the team of the this, that, and the other is 
there are obviously those like just freaks of nature, the outliers, the ones that are going to be in every single greatest 11 that's ever put together. But yeah, this is interesting. I think there's, there's a bit about that team. Yeah. And it's nice to give some, some sort of airtime, some credit to some of those players that, yeah, that, you know, someone like, you know, someone like Astle or, or, or Hoggard is never going to get in a post Atherton world 11, but they were extremely effective cricketers for a long time. And, you know, does it say something as well that perhaps averages are overrated or we, we read too much into averages? I mean, you know, obviously Astor with an average of 37, clearly Sangakara and Tendulkar and Lara are much better batsmen than Nathan Astor was. But, you know, he was probably a better batsman than an average of 37 would suggest. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's, there's, there's merit in that. Um, I mean, yeah, as you said before, certainly someone like Flintoff, on paper, statistically, yeah, not not in the, the the top tier, but you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't be far off in the conversation of of you know of greatest all rounders just in terms of sheer kind of force of nature. Well, and perhaps a nice segue talking about Shrentov there, and you know, it was the the big moments, you know, him delivering on the big stage, big moments, and and of course, most famously in the two thousand and five Ashes. So, and the last thing for us to talk about today. This suggestion from Matt Downham, uh, and it's actually echoed by uh, an email from another listener, Ben Bishop. So two, two people wanted us to talk about this. Matt Downham says, just a long rambling chat about how effing brilliant the 2005 Ashes were. Uh, now, I'm always up for this. So speaking of our kind of uh, lack of sport at the moment, this feeling kind of bereft of sport. One of the ways I uh, filled that void this week was by uh, watching some of the 2005 Ashes. So there's a there's a video on YouTube, uh, which is a documentary that Channel 4 put out, I guess, like at the end of the series or a month or so after the series called Ashes Fever. Um, I sent you a link to this, I think. Did you watch it, Tim? Did you watch any of it? Uh, well, yeah, some of it. I mean, I don't know about you, but um, before I'd even got to the end of Mambo number five, I was blubbing. <laughs> It, the nostalgia is so intense for me. I just couldn't handle it. One thing that's quite weird about it is that, like, I turned it on. I was like, "Oh, this would be a nice escape from the kind of grim reality that we're living through at the moment." So you get through Mambo Number Five, and then Mark Nicholas goes, "Summer 2005, England is in the grip of a highly contagious virus. Millions will get the bug." And I was like, "Wait, what? What is, <laughs> what is going on?" It was very strange. But he was talking about Ashes Fever. Um, Sounds like an altogether more desirable, uh, yeah. d- desirable contagion. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Those were the days, so, eh, when all you had to worry about was Ashes Fever. Was catching Ashes Fever. <laughs> well, having rewatched that documentary tone, I've uh, I've come to the conclusion that the 2005 Ashes was pretty much the best thing ever. I mean, it was for us. Not only was it the the cricket itself and the series, which is surely the best test series in living memory, possibly of all time. But for us as well, you know, it's such a kind of, it was a once in a lifetime summer, wasn't it? Tim? We'd, we'd just finished school in 2005. It was this kind of long and glorious summer before we all up sticks and went off to university. And it was just, it was such a unique moment in time. Yeah. I'm very lucky. You're looking a bit like you don't remember it. Do you remember any of it? <laughs> you know what my memory's like. I mean, this is the thing, it, probably until this summer, and I guess, well, the World Cup final, the Stokes heading the heroics, you know, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed. That, that's probably as close as we've got, I think. Well, I mean, it, 
it probably matched it to be fair uh, to 2005. But in terms of sustained, um, yeah, just like gripping cricket over the course of a summer. But I think we mentioned it at the time. <laughs> Stokes is heading the innings. Yeah, is it just the, yeah the way that series was set up, where it was this kind of this all all time great, pro- probably the greatest. Well, in the conversation for greatest team ever, Australian side, who we'd grown up watching destroy England time and time again. I, I don't know. It wasn't. It's not quite David V Goliath and, and David Toppling Goliath because yeah, England were obviously a very good side. They weren't like enormous underdogs, but there was that mental. Um, Barrier. mentally underdogs yeah for sure mm. and um, you know you didn't even you de- dare to believe that it might be possible kind of going into the series and then the way it started it, it was like oh shit <laughs> it's, you know, it's going to be tough but just the, the turnaround Edgebaston the whole Edgebaston test is, is, is one of the great things of all time in any in anything <laughs> <laughs> very very eloquently put, beautifully um, phrased. Thanks. But you're right, though. It was for us. It was it was pretty special, wasn't it? I mean, like the real market. Euro '96, Ashes '2005, probably the two great sporting extravaganzas, and, and London '2012, I guess as well. Yeah, London '2012. Um, they're probably the three. Yeah, but yeah, as you the say, three, like yeah. I can def- I vividly remember that summer and lo- lots of things about it. Definitely more so than than most other summers. Almost other periods, really. Um, but yeah, I was doing a bit of gardening that summer. Uh, and I remember I couldn't. Yeah, watch. you're working as a gardener, you mean? Uh, I was work- yeah, yeah, I was working as a gardener. I'm not just, <laughs> not just doing my own garden. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember listening to the first balls of the first test in, in the little van parked. I, I, I can vividly remember it. And then uh, I'm being really excited about the series, but not being able to watch. That and I think we sort of finished each day, um, yeah, relatively early, like two-ish. So it would be an early start, then finish at two. But then I, I did like a few days of gardening early on in the summer, and then as the cricket developed, I just did less and less gardening to, to the point where I'd, I think I just like gave up. I just stopped turning up and was just watching the cricket at that point. <laughs> I find that really hard to believe that your your work ethic at that time wasn't. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> wasn't super strong well no, i think yeah as you were saying before i think i think one thing that is easy to forget about that series is just how good that australia team was and also that we had never in our lifetime seen england beat australia and it just it seemed impossible it seemed like something that was never going to happen for all that the drama of stokes and everything last summer perhaps touched those same sort of heights um, it just didn't have that same, quite the same narrative. No, no, you're right. And that, that the the victory at Edgebaston was that moment where it was it was kind of it was it was the that was the David Florian Goliath moment, really. In in a way, it was like it is possible. And then from there, obviously, it, history unfolded. Like it's just an amazing narrative. Like the the narrative of this kind of young England team coming together in 2004, building momentum, winning in South Africa, which in itself was improbable. And then, sort of taking down the best team of all time. It was just, it was just amazing. And I, watching that documentary was interesting because I, I remember so much of it so clearly. But in watching it, because I haven't watched the footage for a long time, like it's just kind of burned on my, you know, 
in my retinas. Um, so I, I do remember so much of it so clearly, but in watching the, the documentary, you, you quite quickly realise that it is a long time ago now. Uh, <laughs> a couple of ways that that stood out to me. One, uh, Richie Benno and Tony Gregg, both commentating. And two, no DRS. And of course, it would have been a completely different series had there been DRS. It's not as straightforward as just saying, oh, well, you know, Australia would have won at Edgbaston because Kasparovic wasn't actually out of that that last ball. You know, his hand was off the bat when it hit his glove. Um, it's not as simple as that because obviously, had there been no, had there been DRS, that would have affected other things throughout the series. But it certainly, it would have played out differently, and it might have played out uh, more in Australia's favour. Um, I, I wrote down some notes, Tone, watching this documentary, just kind of moments or. Uh, or things that happen that uh, watch, in watching the documentary still kind of raise the hairs on the back of my neck. So you mentioned you listened in the van. Harmison on the first day, that Harmison spell and cutting Ponting's cheek. Something that I had somewhat forgotten about, Ashley Giles at Edgebuston, like the fact that England stuck with Giles uh, when he uh, you know, had taken such a, such a battering in the press after the first test. They stuck with him and he actually bowled really well and took some crucial wickets in that Edgbaston test. That was, it, you know, it's kind of spine tingling watching him celebrate getting Ricky Ponting out with, with Michael Vaughan. That flint off over at Edgbaston, I just read my notes, I just wrote down that flint off over, f off. <laughs> um, Trent Bridge, England made Australia follow on uh, at Trent Bridge, and that was their first follow on in 191 tests, which again is, you know, sort of illustrates just how good that. Australia team was it was not since the 1980s that they had to follow on and I seem to remember now tell me if I'm wrong my memory of this when England were in that run chase at Trent Bridge when they had to chase 120 odd to win and Warren was spinning it sideways and and you know and ripping out England batsmen and suddenly it's you know it seemed like it was all falling apart and everyone's heart was in their mouth my memory of this is that you were somewhere like the V Festival and you were calling me for updates on what was happening. And each time you called call me, I had to be like, another one's out. Does that ring a bell? Do, do you know what? Having said, I've got vivid memories about all of that. that uh, I'd forgotten about that. That does ring a massive <laughs> bell. Yeah, a I massive think you were there. And I, I, I seem to remember you ringing as Garrett Jones had skied one up into the air. And I like... I almost jumped out the window uh, when he was caught. And I just had, I picked up and I was like, Jones is out. <laughs> uh, but obviously eventually uh, got there. Simon Jones's spell in that test as well. I mean, it's genuinely heartbreaking tone that that was his final test because watching that spell, you're like, well, this guy's going to be the best bowler in the world. And sorry, just two more things. Something that still kind of, yeah, it still gets me is the, the, talking about how England sort of took down that Australia, that brilliant Australia team. It was the, um, the kind of the, the intelligence with which I did it, with which I did it, with which they did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, obviously Michael Vaughan now has made a career <laughs> in a certain way. Yeah. Uh, but he was such a brilliant, such an astute captain. The and Katie the, Hopkins the, of cricket. Exactly. And the, the plans that they put in place for the Australian batsmen, like that, um, I mean, the fly slip for Damian Martin, that kind of short mid-off for Matthew Hayden, extra cover for Justin Langer so that he couldn't get those square cut fours away um, and frustrating him. You know, it was just, it was, uh, it was brilliant. And as an England fan, so satisfying to watch those plans be executed and, and pay off, you know, watching Damian Martin, um, 
top edge one to fly slip. It was it was it was fantastic as an England fan, um, and I love that. And one final thing, I remember so clearly the moment where not when I knew England were going to win the Ashes because it was way too early for that, but the moment where I thought this actually might happen was uh, in the Old Trafford Test. Jason Gillespie misfielding, just letting a ball go through his legs for four, and Glenn McGrath just standing there, hands on hips, you know, teapot, and the England fans all like roaring. It was just this kind of rocking atmosphere. And I was like, this actually might happen. And it did. As you may be able to tell from the passion in my voice, this is genuinely one of the great memories of my life. <laughs> uh, it, I, it's, and speaking of the test, you know, obviously, like Langer trying to get the best out of, you know, what with all due respect to those, those players or a lot of those players who were there at the start of his tenure, it was quite an average side. And, you know, on, on his coaching team, he's got, you know, he's got Gilchrist there, Ponting's there. The, the aura around those players still as like, you know, you know, as guys who've been retired for a fair number of years now, it's incredible. And, 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 and you know, Kevin Peterson, and he is one of my favorite England players of all time. And, you know, just such a massive part of why England were able to do that. Uh, mm. And I know he's been sort of slightly discredited as well, just by, you know, what happened afterwards. But watching him, even in defeat in that Lord's test, um, you know, take it to warn. Yeah, I think what he did in that series is a massive part of why England won it. It's definitely true. It's easy to forget how ridiculous the skunk was, though, isn't it? Oh, no, absurd. Like, it was, yeah. It, what, you know, even at the, I don't know. I don't remember even what, what I made of it at the time. <laughs> no, you're probably like, legend at the time. <laughs> I want to be like him when I grow up. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was huge. Like, you know, England had always been so, like, feeble at times against Australia. And, yeah, for, 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 Peterson, and then uh, you know whether whether what he did in that first test, or just his presence kind of coming into it, you know, brought the best out of of other players as well in terms of their mentality, attitude, and stuff. Obviously, you know, into that second test at Edgebuston, you know, it was a it, it was a flint off flint off driven victory, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, so much to enjoy. And when you just look at that that team, that Triscothic, yeah, come on, that's all you have to say, yeah. I'm blubbing. Uh, you know. Obviously, we've, we've spoken a lot there about England and how brilliant that England team was. Um, but it is like, I certainly didn't appreciate this at the time. I was going to say took it for granted. That's not even really the right expression. Like, I just, I just didn't, like, I did just thought the opposite of this. Like, ha- how amazing that Australia team was and how lucky we were to watch them in their pomp. And at the time... You know, obviously, it was a bit, a bit younger, a less mature uh, individual at the time. But, you know, it, they were just annoying. It was just annoying that they were so good. Uh, but looking back now, it's like how, how what, you know, what a privilege it was to watch McGrath and Warren and Ponting and Gilchrist um, and Hayden and Langer and all the others, you know, all in the same team. Having said, <laughs> I don't like to make sweeping statements, you know, about eras of cricket that I haven't seen but it, it's hard to think that there are many better teams than that that have ever played the game you know, probably the West Indies team in the 1980s are the only other one in the conversation aren't they yeah well we didn't um, see that so uh, yeah and so it, it was it just had everything that series it, it really did um, and obviously for that England team it was so brilliant but it, it all kind of fell apart after that didn't it like that, that team never took the field together again Simon Jones never played again. You know, they kind of gradually slipped down the rankings. They lost 5-0 in Australia. 
18 months later. And that, at the time, that was obviously very disappointing. But I just wonder if in some ways it makes 2005 even more special. It just was this kind of perfect moment in time uh, that was never to be repeated. Um, and means that, you know, you'll just never, I'll never, ever forget some of those moments. Yeah, there hasn't really been a series that's kind of come close to that. I, th- I guess th- this summer was 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 pretty special in it. Or this summer, last summer was pretty special uh, and and came close. But yeah, I think as we said after after yeah uh, after the conclusion of the last Ashes series, it, in terms of the full package, two thousand five remains the best that we've seen. Well, yeah, I mean, I think objectively that just is true. But also, but we do have to be a bit careful because yeah, we were eighteen and. Um, <laughs> It was our kind of summer of love, <laughs> and, uh, and it just it is completely different to last summer when I was, um, you know, working a full time job and looking after a baby and not really able to actually watch much of the cricket live. It was just a totally different uh, set of circumstances for me. So I can I can think you have to take that into account. But I I do think taking all of that into account and trying to be objective, I just think 2005 is the best test series there has been in our lifetime by a reasonable distance. And as I say, I will, I will, I will never forget it. Um, well, I think we need to probably leave it there for today. Tony, your girlfriend uh, just got you to shut the door because she's getting fed up with our yakking. Yeah. And you can blame her really. It's only, yeah. Day one of full lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> <Hey, laughs> Maybe we should do one of these podcasts every night. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, well, maybe we should go through just one to eleven in that um, in that two thousand five England team and just do an episode about each player. <laughs> I mean, I'm up for that. I was going to say, like, you know, we we said at the top, we want to keep the podcast going as best we can during this uh, this difficult time. Uh, and you know, obviously, I'm I would be surprised at this point if there's much or any cricket at all in England this summer. So. We're going to need content, is what I'm saying. We're going to need ideas for content. I'm very happy to just talk about 2005 on every show. <laughs> uh, but if listeners want us to talk about something else, uh, write in. Send us your questions and suggestions via the internet. You can uh, you can check us out on Facebook uh, at Cricket Show. You can check us out on Twitter at Cricket Show, Instagram at World Cricket Show, or send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. Yeah, the the cricket season at the moment. I mean, you know, for for the winter sports, it's obviously the situation is pretty. And yeah, the overuse word unprecedented, but you know, at least there's, there's some sort of they've got some sort of clarity for cricket. I mean, who knows what it's going to look like? I mean, what's going to be left? Yeah, I, well, I, I think next autumn is really best case scenario at the moment, isn't it? So it's a uh, difficult days, Tony. Difficult days all around, and, uh, and as we say, yeah, very much hope everyone listening to this. Uh, is safe and well, um, and yeah, we'll we will we will do our best to keep this going. Just uh, spread a little joy uh, with our numerous discussions of 2005 Ashes. Uh, perhaps you know, maybe for Australian fans, that's the opposite of, of spreading joy. I don't know. Yeah, true. We've sort of anti-joy we've brought them today. But yeah, all right. Well, thanks, Tone. Uh, hopefully, yeah, this mate. is recorded. It was left up to you to record the show today, so we'll see whether it worked or not. Yeah, I was in the producer's chair today. Um, you've looked quite baffled at various points, <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully that wasn't, uh, you know, that isn't a bad sign. Um, but yeah, stay safe out there, everyone. Uh, I won't say stay in school because all the schools are closed. So you finally got an excuse. Stay home. To not go to school. Stay home, exactly. Stay at home. 
stay at home uh, and we'll talk to you soon yeah cheers mate cheers Tony bye for now cheers Can smell your fear. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.